Welcome to the show. You are now part of Reveal, the revenue intelligence podcast powered by Gong. We're your hosts, Devin Reed. And I'm Sheena Badani. Revenue intelligence is a new way of operating based on customer reality instead of opinions. It's an unfiltered view of your customer reality. In other words, making data-driven decisions based on facts instead of opinions or guesswork. And it's made up of three success pillars, people success, deal success, and strategy success. You know, the things all revenue teams need and care about. Every week, we interview senior revenue professionals and they share their stories and insights on how they leverage revenue intelligence to drive success and win their market. You'll hear how modern go-to-market teams win as a team, close revenue with critical deal insight, and execute their strategic initiatives, plus all the challenges that come along with it. Sheena, by the time this episode goes live, we are in the thick of holiday selling season. People are closing out their quarters. People are trying to close out their year. They're booking road trips, plane rides. It's, it's a hectic time for salespeople. It is. It is. You have a lot going on personally, too. We just like the holidays and planning and family and you're getting pulled in so many different directions. It's a crazy time. As a human being, it is stressful in a good way sometimes. But like you said, there's a lot of plans, a lot of people, a lot to do. And then also professionally, there's a lot to do all at the same time. It can be very challenging. Holidays are supposed to be about cozying up by the fire. But oftentimes for sales leaders, it's putting out fires. Yeah, that's so true. I like that. <laughs> and so that's why we wanted to hang out with Mark today. He's the VP of sales over at Ambition. And what's cool is, you know, it sounds like a sounds like a coin term or like a marketing phrase, but it just came up in our call when we we're talking about what should we cover, you know, given the time and where people's you know brains are going to be at. And he was like, why don't we talk about finish line coaching? And I was like, I don't know what finish line coaching is, but I also know exactly what finish line coaching yeah. <laughs> is based on the context. And so what we chatted with him about was essentially how does coaching change when you get into crunch time or end of year? And also specifically, he talks through how your one-on-ones should shift, right? What you should focus on, what you should not be worrying about. And it was really interesting because as a sales rep, you kind of feel these things, your priority shift and your mindset changes. But it was really cool hearing from Mark like, he embraces it. He acknowledges that. And he has a game plan for it. Exactly. And it's like, what's the role of a leader during that crunch time at the finish line? How can you be supporting your team across the various capabilities that they have? So you're looking at your A players. How can you be supporting them versus folks that may need a little bit more support? Um, so I thought it was a really, really great conversation. And actually, a lot of also tactical tips that you could take out for your one-on-ones specific questions to ask in those coaching sessions and things like that. We got nice and tactical on this one. And I enjoyed that. Gong, we're all about sales coaching. Ambition, also about sales coaching. We're official partners. This was a match made in heaven. So really looking forward to the conversation. Hope you listeners are too. Let's go hang out with Mark. Mark, I am thrilled to have you on the show. It had been years since we last connected before the show. So I'm glad that I'm glad that we've reunited. Same here. Good to see you in a very, a very different place than our original meeting. Which which leads me to the non, you know, the unscripted question I'm actually going to open with is do you remember when and where we first met a few years back? I do. We were uh really big deals working a really tiny conference in the basement of a terrible hotel in San Francisco. 
And uh, I remember Gong and Ambition having little fold-out tables next to each other. And there wasn't a whole lot of activity at that conference. So what do you do? You just like wander over to the table next to you and hope that that guy or girl is working a similar deal that you are so you can like trade notes and, and try to figure out if you're the priority or he is. So yeah, I wandered over to the gong table and there you were. Yep. We were just hanging out and funny because it was, it was like one of those dark, dingy rooms that like, you know, you're like excited to get to the conference and you open the doors and you kind of see what you're working with. And you're like, this is not going to be a super fun day, is it? But you know, you got to earn your stripes and work your way up. And, and sure enough, Gong and Ambition has done that. And yeah, I remember it, remember it fondly. I'm like, hey, at least I got, I don't know if Mark's buying from me, but I got an, a cool guy I can, I can. I, can I remember when about. I first saw that you got your current role, well, or maybe the role before, I whatever it wasn't an AE role. And I was like, wait a second. That was the dude that I met at the conference and we were, you know, spitting deals. I didn't know he he had left sales. So it's funny how uh, how how things change over the years, but pretty cool that we're we're here now. Absolutely. And we are here today to talk about how to close out the year with finish line coaching. So to break the ice some more, even though I think it's melted, I like this quote that's on your LinkedIn. So it says, quote, I lead a high-performing, straight-shooting sales team full of A-plus people. I love the word choice there, by the way. Uh, which made me wonder, what have you learned about coaching teams of A-players over the years? The first thing about coaching a team of A-players is you have to get out of the way. If you hire good people, especially in a stage like Gong or Ambition where it's growing really quickly, and sure, you're giving them some guidelines on what right looks like, but you're hiring people. Every time you hire, you're trying to level up who you bring in. And when you bring in A players, you have to trust that they're bringing something to the table that you as the leader may not. So how do you, how do you give them the tools to be successful, but at the same time, uh, step aside and let them run a little bit? And so the first thing about coaching an A player is, is learning how to humble yourself and allow them to figure out what right looks like inside of what is your ever evolving process. The second thing on an A player that I've certainly learned is they very much value their development. I think there's a misconception that, oh, the A player just wants to run free and never talk to their boss and hero sell every deal. My experience is your A player, if they're going to consider leaving, they're not going to consider leaving for more money they're going to consider leaving because they can get developed further. They're the continuous learner who is trying to break your system to improve your system. And if they feel like they can go somewhere else and learn from someone else, that is a threat. So as a leader, you have to be self-aware enough to know, okay, can I continue to develop this person in said area or can I find outside ways to get them development, continue to pour into them and, and keep them at the top of their game? Clearly, coaching is a big part of your day. Um, you specifically talk about finish line coaching. So can you tell us like what exactly is that and what is the role of finish line coaching, particularly at the end of the year? This is the time. I mean, our, our fiscal ends with the calendar, be it mid-November, week before Thanksgiving. This is crunch time for your forecast and is the contract out? Is there enough time? And so the one-on-ones here at Ambition are very focused on helping reps get unstuck. 
I think end of year coaching really has to be focused on the deals in flight and where the rep feels like they may be potentially stuck. And the way that looks here is give me an example of where you're stuck. What have you already tried to get unstuck? What would you suggest I do to help you get unstuck now? So it's just a, hey, I'm stuck with Gong. I've already tried to go to Devin, but he's not you know, responding to my calls, emails, right? You might help me because I saw you're connected to Sheena from your days working at X company. Do you mind sending Sheena a note on my behalf or calling her? And so there's the whole focus. And again, this goes back to A players is even A players are going to get stuck. They're also going to try something before they get to you or they should. And then you as a leader have to think, okay, how can I use, even if it's just my title, as lame as that sounds, it works, my connections. We had one the other day for a quick story. We have a rep who's really late stage with a ride sharing company you've all heard about. And he was stuck with IT. And so I messaged another sales leader that is in the sales marketing space. And just like, hey, do you guys by chance work with this ride sharing company? He's like, yeah, this is the rep who closed the deal. So 48 hours later, the reps are both talking to each other and our rep is able to ask him, hey, did you see a similar hurdle? How long did that take? What might you recommend? And then reciprocating of, hey, who are you trying to get right now? Is there anybody that I've been working or closed in the past that I can help provide guidance? And so I think a misconception is leaders think at the end of the year, they have to have all the answers. The reality is part of the job as a leader is to leverage your network to help unstick parts of the deal. And you may not have the uh, lever in each area where someone is stuck, but someone else on the leadership team might, someone in your professional network, like the example I just gave might. And again, being able to take a little bit of your ego as the sales leader who knows all, and you definitely don't, but being able to take a step back and say, okay, if it's not me, who is it? And how do I help connect the dots? Well, that's a big difference, right? There's a difference between coaching or like knowing the answer and getting a rep there versus kind of like connecting, which is like, you know, putting in the right path or kind of guiding them to, uh, like you said, the right resource. It sounds like maybe it's just most recent or one of the more common ones is that path. Like, how can I help you source the right information, right? To get a deal unstuck and kind of guide you. Are there other scenarios that you run into commonly of like helping reps get unstuck at the finish line or like, you know, maybe even specifically for end of year? So for end of year right now, what you see a lot is that to use you all as the example, like Devin wants to buy ambition, but Devin knows in order to get ambition purchased, he needs Sheena and IT to uh, approve the timeline. Well, maybe Sheena approves it. Maybe she doesn't, but procurement is involved and procurement says, Hey, Devin, it's November 18th. We need to wait until mid-December to have this conversation because we work in software. We know software buying end of year is the time. So I know you have this great relationship with Mark, but let's uh, let's just let this coast for a minute and let's see if we can you know position this later in order to, to find a better deal. And so sometimes getting unstuck is having been there enough to know that, hey, Devin has told us that he's going to buy Ambition. He's told us how this process works. He's also told us 
that procurement he doesn't have a whole lot of control over and that ultimately his job is just to get us to that point. And so as a sales leader, there are times, and this sounds counterintuitive uh, to what maybe most sales leaders' advice would be, but where you're having to tell the rep actually to like, chill, we're okay. I've seen this play before. Like that, that conversation is coming. Time won't kill this deal. And uh, let's just sit tight for a minute because Devin is a great champion. He's told us everything that, that he's, he's trying as hard as we are to get this thing done. And so let's wait for the next step. Like it's okay. So it almost sounds like recognizing you're actually not stuck. I think every rep, you know, we're trained, like be the biggest critic of every deal, find every hole in your deal. And that paranoia, I like to push back on that. I'm like, okay, the best salespeople I know aren't the ones who protect every ounce of risk in the deal. The best salespeople I know are the ones who think, how do I get this done? Not how will it not happen? And so, yes, have that healthy amount of risk. But to your point, Devin, sometimes you're not stuck. Sometimes this is just enterprise software sales. And the fact that 10 days went by between steps it isn't the most uncommon thing uh, this late in the year when a buyer is trying to create leverage. We both know that end of month, end of quarter, end of year are all a big deal. No pun intended. The Harvard Business Review shared a study affirming our focus on not just finishing, but finishing strong. HBR said that salespeople close three times as many deals at the end of the month as they do during the rest of the month. The big surprise, they also lose 11 times as many deals. Why does this happen? It's pretty straightforward. The volume of deals increases, but the overall win rate plummets. As a sales leader, this data matters because it means your team might need more support to close deals during crunch time. Let's get back to Mark as he shares ideas on how to help your team finish the month, quarter, and year strong. I wanted to connect the dots a little bit between um, how we started the conversation, which was about like coaching A players, which sounded like it was like much more around learning and development and giving those opportunities versus the finish line coaching, which in some ways, maybe it's a little bit more like hands-on or tactical. It's like problem solving in the moment. So do you see those as two different things? Like, should some of that developmental coaching be happening in the beginning of the year? Like, is there a better time for it? Just walk us through that a bit. So when I, let's just use like a finish line coaching session with an A player. And so my first question is always, what have you already done? And then actually, what do you think we should do? I, I want to hear, you've thought about this a lot more than I have. What suggestion do you have? And what I find oftentimes is they're typically right. If they're not right on what we should do, they're really close. They're saying I should email that person versus you should call that person, right? And so with an A player in that finish line coaching, there's the ability to let them lead themselves to their own outcome. And there's a trust there that you may not have with a B or a C player in late stage. I am definitely guilty with a B or C player of when they ask me what to do, I just tell them exactly what to do. And it's short-sighted, to be honest. It's more like, I don't have time to go through the 20 minutes of self-discovery to get you where you need to be. Like, go call Sheena right now, and this is what you should ask her. And this time of year, I justify it because every minute matters. Whereas if this is in February of next year, 
I'm going to approach it with the 20 minutes of trying to develop the person in a way where they get their own answer next time without having to come to me. One of the biggest signs of a, a weak leader, in my opinion, is the leader who has to approve and have every conversation about every deal with their rep. If you're hiring good people, you have to trust them to run in these deals, give them again the guidelines of, of how they can work. But if you're ultimately having to approve each next step, how that next step is said or communicated, that means you haven't enabled your team in a way that they can operate on their own. What happens when you go on vacation? Or what happens when you're suddenly out of the office? Like you need to build a team that can run itself. And the only way to do that really is to create the self-discovery. But she in a Q4 finish line coaching, B or C player, I'll definitely jump on the fact that I directly tell them what to do very quickly. So Mark, everyone has their kind of one-on-one outline plan, right? Maybe it kind of varies from, like you said, A players or rep to rep based on what folks need. But I'm curious if your one-on-ones change as we, what I call, you know, holiday season, holiday selling, crunch time, uh, if it does change, how, how do your one-on-ones change, you know, during that time? So usually I'll tell, I'll tell you about my standard one-on-one, if you will. And then I'll tell you what it looks like in, in mid-December, the standard one-on-one here uh, on my team is usually five to seven questions. The, the first question, I do all my one-on-ones on Mondays and Tuesdays. I try to stack them at the beginning of the week. They're 45 minutes on purpose, so I have 15 minutes to, to create whatever action plan or deliverable that needs to happen afterwards. But in those five to seven questions, it usually starts with uh, last week's highlights and lowlights. I want to know what happened last week that you really felt like was a success and what was really disappointing. Then I have them call out a deal and what we call is a champion's choice stage. What that means is that someone internally is trying to buy ambition at said company. In that deal, I'm asking them what they like and what concerns them and how I can help them in the deal. So really there's four questions around one deal in that one-on-one. So you got the highlights, lowlights, you're calling out the deal, the four questions. And then at the end, I'm asking what else? So my standard coaching session really revolves around highlights, lowlights, picking apart a deal and how I can help them, making sure they're seeing it through the right lens. And then at the end, letting them bring whatever else they would like to talk about. The reason I think this works is it is mostly rep led. While I'm providing the questions, they are the ones who have written the answers. And when we come to the one-on-one, I've already seen it. I've had a chance to think about it. Like we get right to it. But the way that changes when you get into late December, as I've already alluded to a little bit around getting unstuck, is that in late December, all you need to talk about is the deals that are going to convert in December. You don't need to talk about last week's highlights and lowlights. All that rep is thinking about is the three deals that he or she has dated December 31st, which by the way, don't date them December 31st, date them December 17th. That's the Friday before Christmas, but they're focused on those deals and you need to ask them why those deals might not close. If it's that late in the year, you do need to have the approach of what risk still exists. Now, earlier I said, like, be about how you get the deal closed. That's how I feel through, call it 80% of the deal. But when you're there at the end, you need to be thinking about what possible risk still exists. 
So in the one-on-one in mid-December, it's what do you still forecast here at the end of the year? What potential, like list each deal and what potential risk you see. How can I help you minimize that risk? And then also have a, or anyone else in the company. Because also mid-December, I hope that anyone will help you get that deal across the line. Is it your head of, I'm talking from a medium-sized company, but is it your head of product? Is it uh, your VP of CS? Well, our CEO is like, sign me up, put me in whatever conversation you need. And I imagine Gong's is too. So when you talk about what's left, what risk still exists and who can be involved in that, you're de-risking the deal for the rep in a way because you're telling them, hey, do not lose by yourself if you're going to lose. Get me, get the CEO, get head of product, whoever it is. So we are throwing every possible touch point to make sure this future customer knows how important their business is to us. So we sell to salespeople predominantly. And the last thing I'll, I'll add in on this late December deal that has kind of gone cold, it's making you nervous, first thing you're thinking about when you wake up in the morning, what I find myself constantly coaching sales reps on is just humanizing the last ask. We sell to sales leaders. If Devin's the CRO and he's the one signing this, ask Devin if you can forecast this deal in December. Tell Devin that your CRO, which is not me, but my boss, asked if we could count on said customer to execute in December. Mention that you just got out of your one-on-one with your boss and your boss asks, like everyone has a boss. Every salesperson has a quota. Since we are selling to salespeople, you need to use those powerful questions that they fully understand as a, a weapon, frankly, to get honesty and know if you can or cannot forecast in December. I think you can just tweak the question if you're listening to this and you don't sell to salespeople, but it could be, Hey, I was just talking to my VP Mark and we were talking about your account, Sheena. Uh, and he wanted to know if there's, you know, anything missing that would prevent you from moving forward this month, or, you know, do you have everything that you're looking for? You've fully taken care of, right? You, you can kind of make it about them, uh, while also kind of like mentioning, you know, we do have this forecasted for, for you to become a client this month. Mark wanted to make sure you have everything you need. Is there anything missing? Right. And then you also start to unravel if there's any like hidden objections in there. So we do a lot of business and enterprise, just call it like a thousand plus employee accounts. And in those types of deals where the obstacles are seemingly 10x, the mid-market or SMB deals, we'll talk about board level deals of like, hey, this, this partnership is being discussed at a board level. That carries a gravity to it that is very real, let me tell you, as the VP of sales. But it also carries gravity to the the person who's considering the investment. Nobody is trying to make you look bad in front of your board. Like No no one is actually attempting to do that. So if you can use that kind of language in a larger opportunity, it can also be really helpful for, again, humanizing the ask. Because then they're thinking, oh, man. Mark's got to like talk to the board about this. And I know this deal is going to happen or isn't going to happen. Let me pick up the phone and give him some more clarity. So Mark, you've probably seen like a variety of quality of coaching um, from amazing coaching to folks who maybe could be doing a better job. What do you see that sales leaders often get wrong when it comes to coaching? 
The one-on-one is a manager talking at an employee. The manager is uh, is the know-it-all who has every answer. I, I have made this mistake. I, I started my career at AT&T, led uh, retail teams, and was working with a lot of people in their first sales job. And I was very much like, okay, you got 30 minutes with me. How much knowledge and wisdom can I give you in 30 minutes about how to be a better salesperson? And then they would walk away and probably think, man, who is this kid? Like, uh, you know, so I've made that mistake. And now as a sales leader, especially working with a higher quality salesperson, if you will, there's so much value in the rep led conversation. And that's how people remember what they took from the coaching session, right? People remember what they say. So how do you get them talking about the most important priorities? How do you make the next move their idea? That's how you begin to scale a team who knows what they're doing, whether you're around or not. How did you realize that you were maybe doing it wrong yourself in those AT&T days? I had a boss who had been around the block a few times. And uh, what's funny about that is I wanted to show her how great I was at one-on-ones. And so she came and did like a skip level, but it wasn't really a skip level because I was there and I'm having these conversations and y'all, I thought I was God's gift to AT&T retail (laughs) when I was 22, which is so not true. And at the end, she pulls me aside and she's like, Mark, I, you know, I, I, she gave me the old uh, S sandwich, if you will, of like, I really like your coaching. Do you realize they don't talk at all? Like the store is performing, but imagine if you, you know, led them this way. And uh, that was an eye opener for me. I I had always been the type A person who kind of made their own plan and like had the answer. And that was how I had gotten to where I was, I guess. And learning that, man, it's so much more powerful if you let them bring the idea. And most of the time they bring the right idea. And especially as you continue to do it because they start to put themselves through the thought process before you even get there. That was a a, a big moment for me. And it allowed me to free up time because now I didn't need to answer every question. Well, the other thing too, is when you let them provide that answer, even if you think, even if you think you do, or if you do have the right or the best answer by letting them provide it, you can kind of scale of like where they are in terms of how like kind of, educated they are. You know what I mean? If it's like, well, I was way off. I know kind of where you are and how to coach you to get to where I need. Or if you're like 5% off, like you basically got it exactly right. I think that's a good way to also kind of evaluate where folks at and where those, you know, kind of skill gaps or maybe critical thinking gaps could be. We do quick call debriefs here. So like if we're uh, in a demo and we hop off, there's a hundred percent chance myself and the rep are going to do a quick debrief. And there it's really two questions. What went well? What do you think you could do better? And then I will give some feedback on if they didn't present what they think they could do better. What happens over time is they talk about what went well. And then they basically tell you, I know what you're about to say. You know, that one part where I talked about pricing and just kept talking, I should have just stopped. And you're like, yep, Devin, you're getting it. Like, here we go. We're starting to stack some of these development conversations. And when they're coaching themselves, that's a huge sign that things are moving in the right direction. Because the next step is they just do it, right? It's like being told, then telling you, I know I should have done that. And the next one is just doing it. So that def- definitely levels. Mark, we're going to ask you one final question, which we ask all of our guests. 
which is how would you describe sales in one word? My one word is people. At the end of the day, I love process. When we're scaling companies, we all obsess over process, but the reality is sales is still very much a people game. It is solving a problem. It is taking care of a pain for a person or persons. And while I know there are a lot of people out there who think, oh, sales, like eventually it'll all be automated and then I won't have to talk to that person. Like, get out of here. It is a people game. And uh, I think it'll continue to be the way sales teams differentiate themselves is through really good people who tell them how it is, whether they're a great fit or not a great fit and become trusted advisor is so overused, but it is a good description of the best salespeople are able to make suggestions that improve upon what they're already trying to buy. And for better or worse, I will, I will die on that hill that it is a people game. Every week, we bring you a micro action, something to think about or an action you can put into play today. As we approach the end of the year, it's especially important to minimize deal risk. And with the busyness that comes in the season, you need to make every second count. If you only do one thing after hearing this conversation, do this. Try using Mark's end of year questions in your final round of one-on-ones. As Mark shared, you can one, make a list of deals you're forecasting for the end of this year, Two, add potential risks that you see for each deal. And three, brainstorm how you, manager, can help minimize that risk. These questions will narrow your focus to what matters most at the end of the year, but also help your people learn to coach themselves so they can continually improve. Did you like today's episode? Subscribe now so next week's episode will be waiting for you on Monday. And if you really like the podcast, please leave a review. Five-star reviews go a long way to help get the word out there. And if you're not ready to give a five, check out another episode and see if we've won you over by then.